That was an awesome video, wasn't it, guys? Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to House Group Celebration. Tonight we have a special treat. We are going to actually hear from our very own Shauna. She is going to be giving her testimony later. So be pumped for that because it's pretty great. It's really, really good. Uh, But before we jump into that, I would like to mention that tonight we are also going to be doing uh, Power Power of Evangelism, or PE for short. And what that is is basically our very own Josh Goins. Where are you, buddy? There you are. He is going to be taking a team out, and you can feel free to join this team if you, you know, you're feeling like you want to take a risk and go pray for people, and you can hold up to four people. So, during worship, or after my announcements, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, we're going to call him up, and we're going to pray for him, and any of you guys that want to go, on, go with him, come on up as well. We'll pray for you guys and send you out. But, now we're going to go ahead and hear from Shauna, so go ahead and come on up, Shauna. I get really nervous talking in front of people. (laughs) So hi, everybody. My name is Shauna, and I'm just going to share a very quick bullet points version of my testimony and how I came to know Jesus through house group, actually. And um, there's a lot. But so just to preface it, um, so I moved to Cincinnati five years ago. Um, I'm not from around here, and Cincinnati is sometimes very overwhelming to me because I'm from a very small town, and when I moved here, I didn't know anybody at all. I had no friends. I worked, and then I'd go home and hang out with my parents for like two years, and then at one point, I started going to UC Blue Ash, and when I was going there, I ended up getting a job doing student orientations over the summer. And part of the reason I did it was because I really wanted friends as much as an in, as much of an introvert as I am. And I like to act like I don't like to talk to people. I really wanted friends, but I still wouldn't talk to people. Um, and so one of my coworkers happened to be Wilson Cochran. And I did not talk to him for like months when I actually met him. I was just sort of like, okay, he's kind of really outgoing. We're not going to talk to him. Um, and so it wasn't until actually, so there were about 25 of us who were leading orientations and then they selected 10 of us to be student ambassadors. And that's where I sort of got to know Will a little bit better. Um, but I still wouldn't talk to him and we were make, we would make small talk. And I remember one day in passing, he had invited me. He was like, I hang out with some friends on Friday nights at my house. And I was like, Okay. And then he was like, we, we read the Bible when we do some things. Like, you, are you interested? Do you want to come? And I was like, I'll think about it. And so at that point, like, I didn't believe that God existed. Like, to me, I thought all Christian people were crazy. And I was just sort of like, I don't want to be associated with that. And so I sort of went on, and I was just like, okay. You know, I don't really want to be involved with that, but I want friends, so what do I do? And I was talking to my mom about it, and she actually encouraged me to go. She was like, well, you don't know anybody. You don't have to go back. You can just go once and see what it's like. And so I decided to go, and I remember the entire way there, because I live in Westchester, and so it was in Coleraine. And so the entire way there, I was just like, I could turn around now. I was like, I could go home and not do anything, and like I wanted to turn around, but I just kept going. 
And I remember getting there, and it was literally the most awkward, worst experience of my life. Because, again, I don't like to talk to people. And so I walk in, and everyone is so happy. And everyone just wants to talk to you. And I'm just like, no, I don't want this. Can I go home now? And so I remember walking in, and the first person to talk to me was Jen, who's now Wilson's wife. And I was like, no, she's way too happy. Like, I don't know. And then Amanda came up and started talking to me. And I was like, nope, even more, no. And I remember sitting down in the corner, like, trying to hide as much as I could. And at this time, there was only one house group. And we didn't, we had, like, maybe 25 people coming. So it was a little more difficult to hide. But I tried. And I remember they started sharing stories about things God was doing. And I was like, okay. And then they did worship. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool, but I'm still not feeling it. And then I started to open up a little bit through Bible study, and then we moved into ministry time, which is just, if you don't know, the time of the night where everyone likes to, you know, be in tune with Holy Spirit and see what God wants to do with that time. And I remember Amanda had shared a word during that time that super, like, hit me, but I didn't want to admit that it did, because I think I just wanted to prove everything that was going on wrong. And I was just sort of like, no, there's no way that she's saying this and this is real. And so I got to the point where I was like, okay, I guess I'll like acknowledge what she just said to me. And I remember her and I, you know, breaking away from the group to pray together. And as she was praying for me, I just started to sob. And at that time, I didn't like to cry in front of people. To me, it was just strange. Um, that I just started to sob, and she just continued to pray for me. And then she was like, do you want to accept Jesus? And I was like, yeah, I think I do. And it was so cool. Like, in that moment, it's like everything before that time didn't exist. And, like, I truly entered into a new life and a new season. And it's cool because, you know, I eventually went on, and I got baptized at that house group. And... Yeah, it's just really cool. Without house group, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, And one last fun fact before I stop rattling on and on. Um, But so before I actually moved to Cincinnati, I used to always go by my middle name, which is Nicole. And when I got to Cincinnati, I was like, I don't feel like telling people that anymore. So I started going by Shauna, which is my real name. And like a couple years down the line, after I'd already been following Jesus, I decided, I was like, okay, well, what does Shauna even mean just randomly? And it actually means God is gracious, which is super cool because God was setting me up for what I was coming into when I moved to Cincinnati. So yeah, that's me. All right. Thank you, Shauna. Clap for her one more time. That's such a great story. (laughs) All right. Well, hello again. I will say my name now. So my name is Lucas Turnbow, and welcome to House Group Celebration again. Okay, so what is House Group Celebration? Well, this is a special night, and we only do this once a month, because there are actually five separate house groups that are going on across the city. Three on Thursdays, we have Blue Ash, Forest Park, and Northside. We have two, <laughs> two on Friday. He's excited. 
um, Westchester and Coleraine. And I actually helped lead at the Coleraine house. And speaking of Coleraine, we had a really cool thing happen last night. Somebody came to house group for the very first time, not knowing anybody, and they ended up getting baptized that night. So that, that was like really exciting. So... Yes. So tonight is special because there's so many of us, so many leading at different houses and so many people going to different houses. It's just a good night to connect with people you don't really know or people that you haven't seen in a long time. So why don't we do that? Stand up and shake a hand and give a hug and say hi and be excited about it. Yay. Okay, you guys are great. Making friends is so good. All right, all right. Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) All right, all right. As you take your seats, I will go ahead and make a couple of announcements. My first one, I would just like to briefly talk about offering. How we do it at house group celebration is a little bit different than Sunday mornings. We like to put baskets here at at the front of the stage during worship. And so during that time, if you feel like you have something that you want to give, no matter how much it is, you know, just whatever's on your heart, feel free to come down and drop it in the basket. But anything that goes in these baskets will go directly to house group. So if you would also or and or like to give to Vineyard, we have boxes posted on the wall in the back. So you can feel free to just put your offering in there. All right, so my second announcement is pretty exciting as well. There is a, a workshop coming up that our very own Phil Patton is going to be hosting, and it's called Adulting. And which, yeah, pretty great. I like that title. <laughs> Adulting. Um, Anyways, that's going to take place on Monday, October 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Now, what's really cool, what it's going to be about is kind of financing, but I should probably tell you where it's going to be first. So, you could go to it. So, it's going to be in Norwood at a place called The Venue in the living room. So, if you guys were at the New Year's party, um, it's in the exact same place. So, yes. But, okay, so what it's going to be comprised of is short teachings and activities on the various topics of uh, budgeting and saving for student loans, which I'm, uh, student loans, I do not like student loans. But, you know, I'm trying to survive, or whatever. And also credit card debt, so that's a big thing. And Phil, he actually has a degree in financing and accounting, so he really knows his stuff. And he actually also works at Northwestern Mutual. So, like, he's just really wise when it comes to financing, and the bonus is it's going to be free, so I would not miss out on that, because free is amazing. All right, so my next announcement is going to be our celebration band auditions. So, like, if we have specific instruments or, like, um, things we're looking for, um, if you play, like, drums or bass or electric guitar or keys or something else, uh, feel free to contact Luke to reserve a slot. It's going to be luke at vcnw.org. Very good email. That's really good. <laughs> but yeah, so if you, if you, if you want to, you know, audition to be on the, the worship band, check that out. It's going to be great. All right, so Josh Goins, uh, would you stand up and come on down? Um, if you guys, yes, we'll clap. 
He can, he can take four people. So is there anybody that is feeling one and two? You guys can come down too. <laughs> two more people. Three, four. There it is right there. Yes, let's clap for these guys. All right. So I'm going to say a quick prayer for these guys. And you guys can pray as well. And we're going to send them on out. All righty. Lord, I thank you so much for these guys. Uh, Father, that you are already preparing the way for them, that you've uh, already sent out angels to prepare the hearts that they're going to actually minister to tonight. And Father, I thank you for safety for them as well. And we just cancel any assignments from the enemy that would try to distract them or hindering them from actually going and reaping the harvest. So God, just give them a supernatural boldness and comfort that they are actually doing your work, even if they don't see the fruit at this time. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, guys. <laughs> cool. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and invite Luke up, and he's going to deliver the message for the night. So thank you very much, guys. Hey, everybody. JJ, could you grab that whiteboard for me? Thanks. You're the best. Happy almost Labor Day. Labor Day. Um, yeah. So a lot of our friends, this is a cool little group right here, a lot of our friends and other house group people are with their families celebrating Labor Day, so that's awesome. And for all of us that aren't, we're all family here as well, so we'll celebrate in our own way. It's going to be a really great night. Um, Yeah, so one thing that I wanted to also share from last night was... At Cole Rain, we had that baptism, which is amazing. Also, at Westchester, two people rededicated their lives to Christ at the end of the night. So that was really awesome, too. So last night was just a really powerful night. It was really, really cool. Um, yeah. You guys doing well? Okay. So I'm going to do you all a favor. You all and myself... I'm going to set a timer on here so I do not get, you know, I can get preaching and just, yes, and go way too long. I'm not the worst, though. You all can agree, right? Who's the worst? Okay. I'll just say this. The longest I've gone is 55 minutes. Wilson has gone an hour and 24 minutes. Yeah, I remember I was in that one time Will went, I was in the worship band and started at 5.30. We came out to do worship after 7 o'clock. It was like, wow. So you can know we won't be going that long tonight because I just had a timer. Okay, let me get into what I want to talk about. So basically, I want to share on, I want to give a message that kind of helps build a bridge in a sense. So I want to talk about how we can build a bridge from two concepts that some people can see as being in tension, and they are actually in tension, but they're not mutually exclusive, meaning that you can have both of them. It's not an either-or thing. And what I want to start with are house group's values. And so if you know house group's values, well, maybe I'll start with the mission and the vision. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth. That's why house group exists. Right now, our focus is making Cincinnati look more like heaven than hell. 
Because if we're honest, Cincinnati looks more like hell than heaven right now. And we as a church cannot be okay with that. And so we are, we all are not. So that's our vision. That's the picture of the future that produces passion in us. That's where we're heading. Our mission then is how we actually accomplish our vision. Our mission is to empower the body of Christ. So what we believe is that in empowering God's people, in releasing God's people to live out their full potential, that is the best way to see heaven come to earth. So that's what we're doing. And then we have our three values, kingdom focused, gospel centered, love motivated. Those values are what make us house group. If a hundred years down the line, house group, what you know, has become a house group, what house group has evolved into, if it's not about loving people and doing everything out of love, if it's not about the kingdom of God, if it's not about the gospel, it's not house group. These values preserve our identity amidst the many changes. And so those are kind of like the overarching philosophical themes of house group. We have a lot of other values that kind of fall under one of those five. And what one that falls under kingdom focused that we talk a lot about is Holy Spirit led, that we value being Holy Spirit led as a movement. And really how I would define Holy Spirit led is that we step into whatever the Holy Spirit leads us into. That even if it seems kind of weird, even if it seems kind of scary, even if it is something that we've never done before, if it's God, we want it. That's the value of being Holy Spirit led. Another value kind of falls under the love motivated value. It is originally a vineyard movement value and it's titled outward focused. And that's something that we at house group hold very dear to our hearts as well. So if I had to give you a one-sentence definition of outward-focused, basically outward-focused is doing everything that we can to reach the lost. Jesus came to seek out and save the lost. And so if we want to say that we're on board with Jesus's mission, we better be radical about reaching lost people. Church isn't a party that we all come to and have, we have fun once a week and then don't think about anyone else for the rest of, of the week. Church is about coming together, having that party, but letting that party fill us up so we can go out and reach the lost during our weeks. And we want to be reaching the lost on, at church as well, obviously, and, and at house group and all the things that we do. So those are two values. And oftentimes those two values can actually be intention. And what I mean by intention is that when you're really pressing into one, it can kind of feel like you're neglecting or even violating the other. For example, in any organization, there's a tension between structure and spontaneity. How many structure people do we have in the room right now? Raise your hand. Two hands up for me. I love structure, okay? We also have some spontaneity weird people. Raise your hand if you're one of those people, okay? So, is it right as an organization to have structure or spontaneity? <laughs> the answer is yes, right? We need both of those things. But when we're really leaning into the structure part for some given thing, it can feel like we're violating or even contradicting 
the spontaneity and vice versa. So that's kind of what it means when we say that two things are intention. And what I want to suggest to you is that the values of being outward focused, being radical about the lost, but also being Holy Spirit led, pressing into whatever the Holy Spirit leads us into, that those values can kind of be intention as well. It can kind of feel like sometimes when we're leaning into one that we're violating the other. And here's why. What is most impactful for the Holy Spirit people, y'all know who I'm talking about, isn't always what is most impactful for outsiders. When you gather a ton of people together at house group or at church or wherever, what is most impactful for the Holy Spirit people isn't always the thing that's most impactful for the outsiders. And vice versa, the thing that's most impactful for the outsiders isn't always the thing that's most impactful for the Holy Spirit people. And so these two things can be intention. And I really believe that they need to be intention. If we ever feel like we've like totally figured it out, I feel like we've just kind of went to one side or the other and we're gonna miss out on a really good God thing. But if we can stay in that tension and know when to lean this way, know when to lean this way and be okay with it never quite just feeling perfect, I think that we'll be able to see the fruit from both of those values. And here's my vision in thinking about all these things. I want us to be a movement that is both fully pressing into the Holy Spirit and all that he has and radically passionate about reaching the lost. That's my vision that we would be able to say both of those things about ourselves. This past weekend, we had a guy named Steve Shogren at this church. Steve Shogren, most of you know, he started Vineyard Cincinnati, as it's now called. It was called Vineyard Community Church. Brought the first vineyard to Cincinnati and is famous for a thing called servant evangelism. And what was really cool to me is on Saturday, a bunch of people that knew Steve back when he was a pastor here, he left Cincinnati in the mid-2000s, but he came back for kind of a special honoring ceremony. And so there was this place was kind of, it was pretty packed. There was probably just about every chair was filled. And a bunch of people came up and just shared honoring things about Steve. And what really struck me was about half of the people really focused on how radical he was about the lost and how they got a water bottle one day at the mall or at some intersection that said, God loves you. And then the church's address was on it. And that's what actually got them in the door and actually eventually it got them saved, like being given a free water bottle, servant evangelism. And they really harped on just honored Steve's love for the lost and the servant evangelism stuff. But then the other half of the people were saying things like, yeah, I didn't know anything about Holy Spirit ministry or healing. And I went to this seminar and Steve called out this word that said someone has this pain and it was me and I got totally healed and it was a crazy experience. Or I just remember going into the worship at the church Steve was leading and the presence of God just coming so powerfully and I just sat there and wept and wept and wept. And so it was cool. Like half of the stories were from one of these angles and half were from the other. And so what I kind of realized was in the 90s, Vineyard Cincinnati was a church that was one, pressing into the Holy Spirit more than any other 
and two, reaching the lost more than any other church. And so why that encourages me is that it shows me it is possible to do both. We don't have to just settle for one or the other. We can be fully pressing into the spirit and radical about reaching the lost. And it's going to take a whole lot of healthy communication. It's going to take being willing to live in the tension. It's going to take being both intentional about some things and allowing for spontaneity for other things. But I really believe that we can do it. And so with that said, what I want to uh, talk about, what I want to go into next is a little illustration. That's why I have the, the uh, whiteboard up here. So, quick question. How many of you were at house group two years ago? Raise your hand. Okay? Okay. Two years ago, 2014, I would say that was the year that a lot of the stuff that we see every Thursday and Friday now kind of first started to happen. It was new back then. It was fresh. It was exciting. It, was, it were things we'd never experienced before. And so what I want to do, I'm going to draw a red circle right here. And this circle stands for things that were happening two years ago, okay? And I could fill this, I want to fill this up. Specifically, what I'm focusing in that, on now are the more like overt Holy Spirit ministry kinds of things, okay? So we could write in here, oh, uh, freedom and worship started happening. We could write in here that we started seeing healing happening. We could write in here that prophetic ministry started happening. We could fill this whole circle up, okay? And the reason I'm sharing this is I want to talk about what our worldview was like two years ago in comparison with the worldview of the outsiders that were coming in and what our worldview is like now in comparison with the worldview of the outsiders coming in. Because I think something has changed and it's worth our attention. So if you're wondering what I mean by worldview, essentially what I mean is, well, you know, we, we could define this a billion ways. Here's what, how I want to define it right now. What we view as normal, okay? Our worldview is what we view as normal. And so if this stuff is happening, the world's worldview is going to be way over here, okay? And there's a big gap in between the two. If you don't believe me, go up to somebody, go in the drive-thru somewhere and order in tongues instead of in English and see how they respond, okay? So I think, can we all agree that all of this stuff is pretty contrasting to the worldview of the typical person that exists in our country, right? At least in our country. Okay. Now, two years ago, if I'm thinking about kind of the average house group person, or I don't really like this term, but house grouper. <laughs> Do you guys like house grouper? No. Okay. House groupie. 
All right, Josh says house groupie. That'll be the new one. So if we're thinking about the average house group person and we're trying to consider like, okay, where was our worldview? Like, what did we see as normal two years ago? Where I would put us is right about here. Okay. Two years ago, this stuff would be happening and I'd be like, whoa, that is weird. Okay. In fact, it was rare that there'd be a house group that would happen where something that weirded me out didn't happen. Okay. Because it was all new. It was all stuff that we didn't really know anything about it. I'd never been taught on it. I just, I didn't know about this stuff. Tongues, I didn't know about that. And so, although we were further than kind of like the average person, non-Christian or a Christian that isn't in a church that does any of this stuff, we still were kind of like intersecting with them in a sense. And, and why I drew it intersecting, what I'm trying to show is that although we were pressing into this stuff and we were starting to see it as more normal, we could also identify with the people that saw it as strange and weird. Do you guys all see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? That we could both, we were both excited about it and wanted more of it, but also could see it as something that was kind of out of the ordinary. It was just not your normal experience. You go to house group, you'd have an experience there that you probably wouldn't have anywhere else throughout the rest of your week. So this is how it was. Now what I want to share is how it is now, okay? So I'm going to erase this. All the same stuff is still happening, maybe even to a greater degree now. Been a couple of new things. And of course, the world's worldview is still going to be over here. It's still going to be pretty far away from all that stuff. Now, if I'm thinking about the average house group person now, here's where I would draw our circle. Okay? I would draw it over here. Nowadays, I see on Facebook Live, Amy Wallace posts, Baptism of Coleraine. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Baptism of Coleraine. <laughs> I'm at house group and I see somebody like jumping up and down during worship and spinning. I'm like, oh, yeah. Jumping up and down and spinning during worship. Normal. <laughs> I look over in the corner and someone's like convulsing under the power of God. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's normal. That's cool. Right? I didn't used to be like that. I used to be like, oh, my gosh, Van's going to fire me. Van's going to fire me. <laughs> Things are much more normal now. And that's a really good thing. That means that we're, under, we're not just seeing stuff. We're not just experiencing things. We're understanding things as well. Here's where it gets tricky. There is now a gap, I believe, between the worldview of the average house group person and the worldview of the outsider or the lost or the ungifted. And I want to make three quick observations from that gap. First observation is that this gap is getting wider with every passing month or quarter or whatever. And like I said, that's a good thing. It's good that we are increasing in understanding. And you know what? This is a better place to be than this. It is much better to be over here than to be over here. Okay? So it's a good thing that we're moving this way. 
Second observation. And this is where it kind of gets significant for us. Most of the time, and this isn't really an observation from the illustration, this is more so an implication. Most of the time, people aren't concerned by strange things happening. I know I've been talking differently before, but I, I want to hold to that. I don't think that when people come to house group and they see somebody worshiping fanatically or see somebody experiencing something with the Holy Spirit that's strange, whatever, see someone hysterically laughing, I don't think it's the actual thing that really concerns them. Maybe concerns them a little. What I truly believe is that they are concerned when those participating in the strange thing seem completely oblivious to the fact that it's strange. Did you catch that? I don't think that the actual thing itself is the thing that's so strange. I think it's when they're looking at the people and they're like, these people think this is normal. <laughs> like, are these people, do they see that someone is having a seizure on the ground right now? Like, are the paramedics coming? I think when the person, I don't think it's so much about the stuff that happens. I think it's about how the people around them are responding to it, talking about it, behaving in relation to it. So to emphasize this point a little bit more, I want to show you a video clip now. This video clip is from one of my favorite sitcoms, Everybody Loves Raymond. And yes, so sad. They recently took it off Netflix. I now hate Netflix. I'm rioting. I'm protesting. No, I still watch Netflix. I just had to switch to Star Trek The Next Generation. I love that show. I'm not ashamed either. Okay. So, so everybody loves Raymond. Two brothers, Robert and Raymond. Robert has recently joined this group called The Inner Path. And he convinced Raymond to go with him to the group. Okay. And now let's watch Raymond's experience. Go ahead and play the clip. Well, if you're sitting in a chair, you can't be down to earth. Hey, Ray. Hey, Gerard. Okay. First things first, good neighbor policy. Everybody turn the left. <laughs> Don't forget the right. <laughs> Super. Now I'm looking around the room and I see a new face, a happy face, a face I'd like to know. This is my brother Raymond. Welcome to the path, Raymond. Raymond, 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 Raymond. you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? You said I did. I wouldn't have to talk. Raymond has a wife and three children, and he is also the writer for Newsday. Oh, we all know who he is, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) 
You guys like that? So, do you kind of get my point now from watching that? That is there really anything that strange about sitting on the floor or about doing these things? Not really, but when everyone around is like, oh yeah, doing this stuff is normal. That's kind of when I think it takes it to a new level of concern for the person. Like I think that if the outsiders that are coming into our house groups, coming to our churches, I think that if they can look around and see people being like, okay, these people are for this, but they can see that it's kind of a little weird. I think that actually causes the safety to come to them because they can say, you're like me. I can see kind of some of my own thought pattern in you. I can see that you see this in the same way that I see this. And finding similarities with the people around you, that's the number one way to decide whether you belong or not. Another example of this real quick. I have a terrible fear of spiders. And I found out that while Wilson was on one of his trips, Wilson's my best friend, to somewhere, not here, he actually decided to hold a tarantula. Okay? And I think I would just have a heart attack and die if I had to hold a tarantula. But he tried it and he told me that it was terrifying. His like hand was shaking and it was like put on his hand and it's like started crawling. He could like feel it. It's like uh, hairs crawling around on his hand. And so that is a weird thing to me. If I were to see someone holding a tarantula, that would weird me out. But at least seeing that he is like tentative about it and he's kind of scared too and he's acknowledging that it's a strange, weird, scary thing. That made me feel safer about Wilson as a person. Now, if I were to walk out of this auditorium here and see someone sitting, one of you sitting on the sidewalk with tarantulas crawling around your body and you're just like, yeah, this is normal. I would be super weirded out. Okay, I'd probably start casting demons out right there on the spot. Do you see the difference there? One is he was still doing it, but he was acknowledging that it was strange and scary. The other is they were doing it and they seemed like it was normal. Is this making sense? Can you guys, are you seeing the difference between those two things? Because I think it's really critical and really important for us to understand that. That it's not about stopping the strange things from happening. It's about how we are presenting ourselves to the outsiders when they do start to happen. I think that is at the heart of being outwardly focused, at the, at the heart of having a heart for the lost. Third observation, I just kind of started to go into this. The answer is not to go back. Instead, so getting back to this illustration on how to close this gap, the answer is to keep on moving forward, but while we do it, take time to reach back and help pull these people along through a gradual process. You see, when I got introduced to all this Holy Spirit stuff, I got to get introduced to it through a process that lasted a couple of years. 
I didn't get it all forced down my throat right away. So what we need to do then as people in ministry, for, the, for all of us that are, is that we need to bring people along in a slow way, not shoving everything down their throats right away, but allowing them to go on a process and get to this place over here with us. And so what I want to do now with the remainder of my time, it's a good thing I said an alarm, is look in uh, Colossians 4 and just pull out eight practices for um, eight, practice, eight healthy practices for impacting the lost. So turn with me to Colossians 4. A little bit of context. Colossians 1 and 2, Paul is correcting the Colossian heresy, as it was dubbed, that emerged in this church in the 50s. The Colossian heresy was a combination of, of worshiping angels and um, some Judaism was mixed in. So living by the law and abstaining from certain things and also some like self-flagellation. So some uh, kind of beating your body into submission kind of stuff. All of that jumbled together was the Colossian heresy. Chapters one and two, Paul kind of dismantles that. Then in chapter three, Paul's main focus is, this is your identity, church. And now these are the practical things that you should be doing in relation to each other. This is how you love each other. That's all great. Then in chapter four, for about four verses, he transitions, again, still stemming back to that. This is your identity now. This is what you should do. He transitions from how they're to treat each other and goes into how they are to treat outsiders or the lost, as we've been calling them. So let's read Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Here we go. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Really great passage talking about this topic. So we're going to kind of fly through these because I spent more time on the beginning than I wanted to. Practice number one, it comes from this first verse of this passage, verse two, devote yourselves to prayer. Practice number one is be consistent in your prayer life if you want to, if you want to navigate this tension, if you want to reach, or sorry, if you want to reach the lost in a healthy way. Be consistent in your prayer life. I really believe that if I'm not talking to God about something, I can't really say I'm passionate about it. If I was really passionate about it, I would be talking to him about it. And if I am passionate about it, but I'm not talking to him about it, I'm probably not passionate about him. So either way, I need to be bringing the stuff that I say I'm passionate about to God in prayer. Then getting to the end of verse two, skipping a couple slides, Alexandria, FYI. We have underlined here the attitude of thanksgiving. 
So Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And practice number two then is this, cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving. Imagine that. Do what the Bible says. So (laughs) thankfulness is really an awesome thing. Essentially, when I'm thankful, it's impossible for me to be bitter about something. It is impossible to be simultaneously bitter and thankful. And so when someone really offends me or someone really hurts me, what I try to make a practice of doing is being like, okay, that hurt, that was painful, but God, here's why I'm thankful for that person. And just for me, doing that has been the best thing to get rid of bitterness out of my life. And thankfulness can do a multitude of other things. And I encourage you, do a study on the idea of thankfulness on your own. And it's, I think thankfulness is one of the primary ways that we go about spiritual warfare. But moving on then to verses three and four, I'm going to read them again. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So Paul says that God will open to us a door for the word. And so a door for the word then is when an opportunity opens up for us to significantly impact somebody's heart. Sometimes we can be trying to impact someone and it's like a wall, a wall, a wall, a wall. And then God opens the door and it's like we can step right in. Maybe some of you have experienced that before as you've been reaching out to people, maybe some family members, maybe some friends. And if you still feel like you're in that wall stage with them, I want to encourage you that God is in the business of opening up door, the doors of people's hearts for his love to pour in. So keep at it. A door will open. And what's significant is that we don't have to force the door open. It says that God is the one who orchestrates these connections. Now, Paul does say that he has a part. He says, praying that God will open up a door so that I may speak forth the mystery of Christ as clearly as I should. So God has got the part of opening the door, but then it's our part to actually step through it and kind of complete the interaction. You know, a lot of people have a problem with saying that God has a part and we have a part. It's like, no, God's sovereign. He has all the parts. Well, if you go back to Genesis 1 and you read about God creating humanity, it says that he created Adam and he, or created, um, human, or created man, uh, male and female, and that it was, man was created in his image and his likeness, and that man was created to rule over the earth and subdue it. I never noticed this until I recently heard a teaching from Van on the kingdom of God that it actually says in Genesis 1 that human beings were created to subdue the earth. What does that mean? That means the earth wasn't totally subdued at creation. That means there were things that weren't sinful, but they weren't quite in order. They needed to be kind of like to be subdued, to be organized, to be, they needed to have authority taken over them. I think of like a unbridled horse. Like one of the, you try to get on that and ride that thing, it's going to buck and buck and buck, but eventually you can 
get it trained and it becomes a horse that you can ride on. And so my point then is that God created, but he actually created us to help him complete his creation in subduing the earth. And so it works the same way now. God does his part, but he wants to be co-creators with us, not just do everything for us. God's part is opening the door. Our part is whatever, do, whatever it means to walk through the door. Paul's case, proclaim the mystery of Christ as clearly as he should. And so we must constantly be looking for these open doors as we're doing ministry and making sure not to try to force any open by our own strength. So practice number three is this. Trust God to open the door. It can be so easy for us when we're thinking about how to reach the lost to be, okay, I'm, we're, we're not reaching the lost. We're not reaching the lost. I'm afraid. I'm anxious. I'm stressed. We need to reach the lost. Okay, what are like the five best things that we can do to reach them? It's like, no, dude. And this is me talking to myself a lot of times. Just chill out for a second. God is the one who's going to open the doors up. Just wait for him. Wait till you see that door open. Wait till you see that crack of light coming through. But then, practice number four, do whatever it takes to walk through it. I love what Brian Tome from Crossroads says. I don't 100% agree with the implications of this, this sentence, but I love this sentence. We'll do anything short of sin to reach the lost. That's what I'll say. We'll do anything short of sin to reach the lost. Now, there's some things short of sin that I wouldn't do to reach the lost. I wouldn't stop worshiping, you know, having worship in our church services or whatever. But that's, that's missing the heart of the quote. The heart of the quote is that we need to take risks and be bold and be courageous and be, a, be okay with looking stupid sometimes, be okay with getting humiliated sometimes in order to reach the lost. That people being escaped people escaping hell and getting into the kingdom of heaven is worth looking stupid sometimes. And it's worth doing things that others might see as taboo sometimes. Do whatever it takes to walk through it. So now moving on to verse five, Paul says this, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders. Practice number five is this. Be especially cognizant of your conduct around outsiders. Be especially cognizant. We've kind of talked about this already. Here's an analogy I like to use when thinking about this. Let me draw it. Okay. I want you all to imagine that this is just kind of a circle kind of day. I want you all to imagine that this are all the people that, ex that live in Cincinnati, okay? Now, by that I mean that this is kind of like a, if you imagine like a pie chart, this, this would be 100% of the people. So 100% of the people that li live in Cincinnati. Now, question for all of you. What percentage of those people, if, ev if all the stars align, all the right conditions are met. What percentage of those people do you think could possibly end up in a church on a Sunday? Just shout it out. What percentage? 
25, I heard 78. That's specific. 95. Anybody, what do you guys think about 50%? That if everything went right, all the people that would, you would consider going to church did, about 50% of Cincinnati would be in a church. That's kind of what the statistics say. I don't know exactly what it is, but that would be about half the people, right? So these would be churchgoers, maybe. And these would be non-churchgoers. Okay? Now, when we're talking about being outward focused and reaching the lost, which half are we talking about? The non-churchgoers, right? Okay? <laughs> when we're talking about reaching, these people are, are going to church. I understand maybe some of these people that go to church aren't saved, but the vast majority of them are. These are the people that are not, for the most part. Okay? So these are the people that we are trying to reach. Would you all agree? Okay. Now, when you're talking to these people about stepping foot inside your church, it's kind of a normal thing. They're used to going to church. When you try to get these people to step inside of a church, it's like asking a Christian to step inside of a Masonic lodge a lot of times. You might, if say one of your friends came up to you and said, hey, do you want to come to Masonic lodge meeting tonight? You would probably be like, okay, I understand that you guys have a cool community there, that you're friends, there's relationships. I understand that you even do things for the community, but there is no way, and you know what, I'm going, stepping foot inside a Masonic Lodge. That is the attitude that a lot of people have about church. See that you guys have a great community going on there. I know you do stuff for the community, but there is no way I'm stepping inside a church this Sunday. Okay? And so I think that's the attitude that a lot, maybe that's overgeneralizing, but I think that's the attitude that a lot of people have. So then say that we do get one of these people to come to house group or say that we do get one of these people to come to church on a weekend. They're going to be coming in, but do you think they're going to be exactly excited to be there? Shauna? Were you excited to be there? She even said she was not. Okay? And that's because the idea of going to church is really scary for these people because you know what? A lot of them have probably been burned by the church. A lot of them have probably been told they're not good enough by the church. A lot of them have been condemned by the church. A lot of them have been told that God hates them by the church. Okay? So, say we get them to come what is the first thing they're going to be asking themselves? Could hear a lot of responses from this. What I think is the first thing they're going to be asking themselves is, do I belong here? Kind of hit on this earlier. Do I belong here? And when you first interact with people, the way that you determine whether you belong or not, unfortunately, is by more of those outside or stere not stereotypical, more of those physical qualities. Not necessarily physical. Mannerisms. You see, do these people talk like me? If so, okay, I can kind of feel like I belong. 
do these people look like me? Are they, can I find anyone who has vans in this whole lodge? Okay, there's two people with vans. Whew. At least I have something in common. Do these people laugh at jokes like me? Can they just have a normal conversation with me? Can they talk to me like I would talk to one of my friends? These are all the questions that these, these people are asking when they come into house group or come into a church because what they're really asking is, do I belong here? Can I fit in here? There is nothing like, there's nothing, there are not many things worse than being somewhere where you feel like you don't belong, but having to be there anyway. And so we then have a short window to make these people that come in feel like they belong. And if we are not engaging them and having a normal conversation with them, if we're not treated, if we're not doing normal things, if we're on the ground shaking or if we're laughing or if we're, oh, <laughs> there's my alarm. You get the point. If, if they can't look around and be like, okay, I can see me in that person. I can see me in Adam. I can see me in Kevin. I can see part of me in Nico. They're not going to come back. And we're going to miss our opportunity to see them experience God. So we have to be especially cognizant of our behavior, how we think, how we, especially how we act and how we talk when we're around outsiders. That's what I think he means when he says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Okay, I've got a lot more notes. If you want my notes, you can um, talk to me later. But let me just get through the last three practices real quickly. Practice number six, above all, love. Okay. One time I was praying and I was like, God, I want to reach um, unbelievers. I want to reach people more. Like, what do we have to do? Do we have to shorten the amount of time? Do we need to have free more free drinks? Do we need to have comfier chairs? Do we need to put out air fresheners? Do we need to um, get a better air conditioning system so it's not 100 degrees in the Northside House group on a Thursday night? <laughs> Lord, what do we need to do to be more seeker sensitive? And I felt like he said, Luke, love is the most seeker sensitive thing that you can do. There is nothing more seeker sensitive that we can do than show people genuine love. And earlier on in Colossians 3, I don't have time to show you the verse I was going to, but Paul says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. When we love people, we make them feel like they belong. And that's what allows them to eventually get into a relationship with Jesus. Because, you know, people belong, then believe, then behave. The church would often like for them to behave and then believe and then belong. That's not how it works though. People belong first. When, when someone comes into our church or into one of our house groups, our first things, I don't care what you believe. Most of the time, I don't even care which, how you're behaving, but I'm gonna make it my mission to make sure you know that you belong here. Above all love. Practice number seven, communicate with grace. Basically, uh, if you remember, Paul said, let your speech always be gracious. People need to hear mercy and grace in the way we talk. 
That's why when I'm up here giving a message, I don't make, especially on Sunday mornings, I don't make a bunch of you statements. You guys need to do that. You guys need to do this. You guys need to do that. You need to follow through with what you say you are. It's usually more like, hey, this is something I feel like we need to do. You guys ever notice that? It's we language rather than you language because you can't really hear much grace in the you language. And last practice, practice number eight, nuance your language. If I could put this in one phrase, I would say, don't speak Christianese around outsiders. Okay. Hey guys, we're going to do some PE and hopefully meet some people that are willing to get sanctified and justified. (laughs) And um, more Lort. (laughs) See, that was an outside joke that some of you don't even know. Okay. Now, Those words are cool in the right setting. Inside jokes are good in the right setting, not during house group in front of people that don't know what they are. Nothing more. That's one of the worst things for pushing people away right away is telling inside jokes. But nuance your language. You know what? When I leave ministry time, I have never used the word prophecy. Never one time have I said the word prophecy because you say prophecy to some people that are there for the first time, they're thinking of like an old dude in robes and a long beard and a staff. And like, what the heck? Yeah. And I don't say PE. I don't even say power evangelism. I might as well say, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, where's uh, Josh Calhoun at? Do you know any um, reptiles like a fit, like scientific name? Sure. That. Okay, you might as well say that when you say power evangelism to some people. It's like, power evangelism. I didn't understand any of that. So nuance your language. That's practice number eight. Okay, so I'm going to invite the worship band to come back out now. And I'm excited to worship. What's really cool is, even if I come up here and my message sucks, worship is always makes it worthwhile. (laughs) Like, I'm even... I'm more excited about worship than even giving my message because intimacy with God is always the point, you know? It is the point of this meeting. And so we get to worship God and it's really awesome. What I'll leave you with is we want to be a movement that is fully pressing in to all the things of the Holy Spirit while also being radical about reaching the lost. And that includes growth. You know, growth is oftentimes a thing that churches don't want to talk about, but because it's like, oh, numbers. I, I know they're up. Sorry, guys. One more thing. Can you, stay, can you guys stay with me for one more point? That didn't sound very convincing. Okay. One more point, okay? So people are afraid of numbers. Oh, if you're focusing on the numbers, then you don't care about people, right? And that can be true. But I don't think those same people would be saying that if we're on, say, a sinking ship and we're trying to think, okay, how can we get the most people onto lifeboats as possible? I don't think anyone's like, whoa there. You're focusing on the numbers. That really contradicts the values of this ship. Um, I have the manual here. Let's just do what it says in here. Forget about your plan to get more numbers. Let's just do what it says in here. You know? 
so when, obviously, and that's not the whole point, um, but what I'm trying to emphasize is that it's not focusing on numbers that's wrong. It's when we compromise important things for the sake of increasing numbers that's wrong. Can't do that. But it is, there's nothing wrong with focusing in on growth. And so my hope for us at House Group is that we would be a movement that is fully pressing in to getting as many people into the presence of Jesus as possible and pressing into all that the Holy Spirit has for us as strongly as we can. Okay? So that's it, everybody. Thanks for listening. Now we're going to head into worship. So I'm assuming you guys are ready. I'll hand it off to... (laughs) Shauna, she will give you the next set of instructions.